Steve, happy Monday. Uh, happy Monday to you, man. You have a good weekend? Yeah, it was good. It was uh, no hunting, but plenty of time spent outside with the fam and kind of recouping here between some hunts. So it's it was good, man. Awesome. Yeah. You were hunting. You were hunting uh, last Thursday, Friday there for, uh, it was the opener on Thursday for rifle deer? Yep. Yep. The 10th. Yeah. So you got out for yeah. a couple days there. It's funny. We, uh, we'll talk about that hunt a little bit and it kind of ties into some questions we just got about cold weather. You guys definitely dealt with, uh, dealt with some of that. What were the conditions like for that hunt? Uh, yeah, cold. <laughs> <laughs> we, we left, uh, Boise like 3 a.m. and got, uh, basically when we left the truck, it was six degrees in the truck that morning. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was an area that, uh, you could actually motorcycle into. So we took the bikes in, but, uh, six degrees, you couldn't, um, couldn't get the thing started. So we had like a two hour <laughs> rodeo that morning, uh, just trying to, trying to get the bikes started. And we ended up, um, yeah, eventually got them going, but it was quite, quite the workout. Basically where the batteries were toast after they wouldn't start for a while. So then we're sitting there trying to push start them and using like this one tiny hill at the trailhead. And it was, yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm sure if someone was watching from afar, they would have been laughing their asses off. <laughs> so did you save, I don't even know if you, I was going to say you saved energy, but maybe you didn't. Did you save time by actually getting the bike started or should you have just hiked a couple hours? <laughs> oh man, that's a good question. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, you know, we rode pretty far back there. I think we're about eight miles back. So um, mm-hmm. it would have been a pretty good hike uh, considering there was, you know, six inches of snow at the trailhead and there ended up about a foot of snow where we ended up parking the bikes. So wow. um, yeah. So being, I'm curious that far back, but not only that, but then opening day being on a Thursday was, did you guys see many folks or just the, did the weekend you think get hit real hard, but those first couple of days weren't necessarily as bad? Um, Thursday wasn't as bad, but I think it was the, the forecast was freaking miserable. So I imagine a lot of people, we were originally going to leave Wednesday night, but that was supposed to, it snowed and was just absolutely terrible. So I'm sure. Uh, a lot of people are in the same boat. And then well, Friday when we came out, it was just a quick Thursday, Friday hunt. When we came out, the trailhead was full of cars. So Nice. But that's that's Idaho general rifle. I mean, I, th- I think right. it's impossible to escape pressure. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So how'd the hunt go down, man? I, I We haven't chatted. I haven't heard any stories. I know that Jason uh, got a buck. But yeah, fill us in. Yeah. I mean, it was um, it was a fun hunt. The, the weather was challenging. You know, it's kind of fun. You know, it's pretty cush backpacking in September when you've got, you know, 30 for the low and 70 for the high and, you know, not that much weather. So, um, you know, you definitely have heavier packs going in and all that stuff, just more more gear. You need to stay warm. But the, the hunt itself, yeah, we rode in there, um, essentially parked the bikes and we and then from the bikes, we had about a five mile hike from there. Um, but we got them as far as we could get just with the snow levels. And, um, so parked the bikes, started to go hike and literally bam, there's a buck in the binos, like right, you know, we didn't walk a hundred yards from the bikes, uh, that first Thursday morning, Jason spotted it. It was like 45 minutes later, the buck was down on the ground. So, um, it was a tough call though on the hunt. Like I was actually, uh, on how to shoot the deer. He was, when we first saw him, he was about 800 yards away and you could get to like 600 but then once you pass 600 you weren't going to see him anymore until you were right on top of him inside of 100 yards you know we had it was pretty fluffy snow so it wasn't super noisy but there just wasn't a drop of wind or or anything so every footstep i guarantee uh that deer could hear um so it was was kind of a tough thing And, and basically you know i just hung back and jason was was on the stock and 
he uh, snuck up in there and, and he just kind of, we lost him for about 20 minutes. Just kind of, we got into the trees and weren't exactly sure where he was and just kept kind of being persistent and moving slow. And I said, I was, Jason ended up being right. My instinct was to kind of hang back a little bit because uh, I was nervous about getting in there too close, but he just, he kind of stayed at it and, and um, just kept moving, you know, probably had to move like 400 yards up through the trees and eventually he was just across the ravine from us he had the buck popped up and i think it was like a 180 yard shot uh jason just freaking drilled him shot him and he didn't know where he went uh he just he saw the buck kind of get hit and then run off into this little tree patch and uh so i we split up and and um, i dropped circled way down around just in case the we didn't know what was going on you know just in case jason went up after the buck and, and bumped him and I was, I'd have been on the other side for a shot and ended up being, um, pretty freaking nasty, man. It was like just rocky timber, like just nasty, uh, slipping and sliding every step and, um, got down to this little Canyon is kind of all cliffed out. And, um, Jason called on the radio about 20 minutes later and said, Oh, the buck's right here. He went 10 steps and I had to climb back up to him. And <laughs> I, you know, it was six degrees and I've got all these layers on, um, and I just sweated my butt off getting, getting up there. I mean, it was just about as vertical as it could get for, you know, only 800 feet, but it was pretty gnarly. Um, and then I, I was, it was the most worthless I've ever been trying to help somebody <laughs> clean up their animal. Cause I couldn't feel like I sweated so bad. And then, then, then we just stopped. Right. And oh, that's I tough. Freaking cold. So I felt terrible, but I, I couldn't feel my hands. I was just shivering and shaking and um, didn't matter how many layers I had on it. Just kind of like you got chilled to the bone there, you know? Yeah. Uh, but yeah, we got them all cut up and then we kind of joked. It was the, the hardest, shortest pack out we've ever done back down <laughs> to the trail because <laughs> it was, it was hard. And the buck was his, uh, um, absolutely enormous body. I had, we, you know, we left bone in, um, but my pack was 105 pounds with half the deer in it. Wow. Uh, yeah, it was freaking just a toad of a buck. Uh, he didn't seem that old either, just a big-bodied SOB. So, um, And, yeah, absolutely gorgeous deer. Jason taped him real quick, I think, when he got home. It was about 184, 185. So gorgeous nice. buck. Had a couple extras. Um, just, yeah, just solid all the way around. So, um, yeah, we uh, packed him down to the trail, got him hung up. Obviously, it was, you know, had no concerns about the meat. It was absolutely frigid cold. So, Hung him up, and then we hiked uh, that five miles um, right after that to to where we wanted to hunt. Um, and, and Jason had actually specifically scouted out a buck the weekend before, so we were going in there. And basically, he was um, you know he got to be the glasser and help me, and I was the hunter. And we spent a whole night Friday, um, basically probably got in there by three o'clock, something like that. Glassed all the way till dark, couldn't find anything. Um, the one as far as gear well i'll come back to gear um couldn't find anything you know slept got up got you know made sure uh, that we were up super freaking early got to the spot you know packed everything up got to the spot we wanted to glass um probably at least a half an hour before you could even glass so we just hung out made some coffee waited for it to get light scoured the hillside all morning and there was two bucks we'd seen the night before and um, so we saw them again and a couple other small bucks, but just never found that big one that was there the week prior. Um, so at like noon, I just told Jason, I was going to basically kind of do a big loop and essentially get into where the buck was and still hunt my way back towards the bikes. Um, and, uh, 
basically two thirds of the way back. I'm like on this little finger ridge uh, and look across and see a buck just standing there with my naked eye. I could tell he's on like alert, like he'd been bumped. I didn't think it was me. I didn't. I didn't think there was any other hunters around. We hadn't heard or seen anybody, but um, you could. I could tell he was on alert, and um, so I ranged real, real quick. Uh, I got 385 on that SIG rangefinder, and then it told me to dial 3.75 on on my scope. So I'm basically like dialing while I'm running up to this log that was 10, 15 feet in front of me. It looked like a perfect rest. And so I dial, run up there, get down on a knee, prop the gun on the, on the log. And, um, I could not for the life of me get stable. The gun, the the crosshairs were literally from the chest to the ass. Like it was just this left mm-hmm. and right movement. Um, and I just couldn't figure it out. Like I, I, I didn't feel like I was breathing hard. You know, obviously I got some, you know, buck fever, adrenaline going, but I couldn't get him stable. I was, it was really weird. You know, it was, granted it's a 385 yard shot, so it's not, um, it's not like a hundred yard shot, but I just couldn't get stable. I, I kept playing with putting the the barrel, you know, like just moving the gun back and forth on the log, forward and back to to uh, try to get it stable, and I just couldn't do it. I, it was really really weird. Um, and then eventually I took my pack off. The meanwhile, the buck, you know, I could tell any second he's going, so I'm trying to like rush through this whole process. Take the pack off, and then I put the gun on the pack. Um, kind of had it like positioned down between my knees, and and actually I was able to get stable enough to where it was like the crosshairs it was just a left and right movement that the crosshairs were um from basically edge of the kill zone to edge of the kill zone right you know i'm moving probably eight inches left and right mm-hmm. um and I, I i every time i've been shooting that gun i go back to our podcast we did with ryan kleckner on on he imagines drawing an eight inch line in the sand with his finger you know very slowly um so i felt like I, you know, I just, the crosshairs were moving, but I just kept squeezing and squeezing and squeezing and squeezing and bam, the gun goes off. Um, and I didn't hear, you know, that telltale thud. Um, I just, it just didn't hear it. And I was freaking, you know, like, gosh, dang it. I still like, I knew the crosshairs were on them when I shot, like I felt good about that. So I was like, well, maybe it just, I didn't hear the, the right sound. So uh, I start hiking over there and about, you know, 200 yards into it, halfway to the deer, I look down at my scope and because I, you know, I'm thinking, well, if he's wounded, you know, I'm going to get a second shot or something. Um, so I dial, I go to dial the scope back to zero and I look down and it was at 2.75 instead of 3.75. Oh. Um, <laughs> I just, oh, I immediately stopped right there, pulled out my phone and I got that shooter app because I wanted to see like. Okay, How far I'm, off? I'm full MOA off. What was that? And it's about six and a half to seven inches. Yeah. Um. So I like that's twice now this year. I'm just like the first time with that bull being in rifle mode uh, during archery season and not compensating distance. And now this was just my stupid, you know. Um. I just kind of rushed it basically. Just you know, what on that Leopold scope, I was looking at it because the tick marks go two, four, six, eight instead of you know, two, three, four, five. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think I just kind of, I saw the two, I dialed past it and dialed to the a 0.75 mark and I just didn't pay attention. So that was a, that was a hard one to swallow. He was a nice one, at least 160, 170 frame. I didn't have the time to like look at him further that, you know, I just knew he was a shooter for me. I didn't have to question anything else. Um, yeah. So ended up, um, there was fresh snow everywhere. I tracked the buck for a good mile and a half, two miles. Um, but it was just all timber. So I, I, he, you know, I could tell he'd get to a point where he was walking. I mean, there's a couple times he even took a poop. Um, 
So we'd slow down enough to do that, but then I think I was just bumping them. Yeah. Um, sure, he was on high alert and just kept bumping them and bumping them, bumping them, and eventually, um, yeah, he was going the opposite direction of where the bikes were. So I uh, ended up meeting Jason back on the bike, and then we rode out of there, and it was pretty, um, pretty fun. <laughs> we had a 105 pound pack riding riding the bike out in a in a foot of snow and. That was pretty uh, sporting, I guess you could say. <laughs> <laughs> Whole time, I had my butt bucket just waiting to roll the bike down the mountain, but uh, we made it out without incident and and back home. So, um, but yeah, it was, you know, it was a fun hunt. I, it's uh, you know, getting back into rifle for me is is something you know pretty new. I never even really took it serious. You know, I just only time I really rifle hunted was from twelve to eighteen. Kind of the family go out for one week in October type deal. So it was yeah. fun to get out there and. And, um, and to deal with those cold elements was, um, man, that was, it's tough. It changes, changes a lot, changes how you hunt and pack and think about things and got to be a lot more attentive and, and, uh, yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Let's dive into that cold stuff. It's a, obviously a timely topic, not only for right now, but you know, hunts coming up, you know, thinking of second rifle, like I got buddies going out in Colorado and it's looking pretty cold and, you know, there's plenty of season left that has the potential to be cold. What I'm curious, like say on this, Steve, with a backpack hunt, how does it, first of all, how does your sleep system change? Cause that's one of the questions we've gotten is what is a sleep system? How do you adapt a sleep system? I guess from say September through November, are you using the same setup or are you just adding like a liner, adding layers? What's your strategy? Yeah, I think, um, the number one thing, everyone wants to go to a sleeping bag. Your pad is so stinking important. I would easily argue that your pad is more important than the bag itself. Because um, if you don't have good insulation underneath you, and whether you're a quilt or sleeping bag, it doesn't matter, right? You're, you're, you got a sleeping bag, you're compressing all the down. It's doing zero basically underneath you. So your pad is really, really important. Um Fortunately, I've got quite a few uh, options at home just from, you know, stuff we've tested over the years and things I've bought and whatnot. Um, so I, I debated on what to do there. My uh, this my go-to would have been the Sea to Summit Comfort Plus. That's our value of five. Um, on a side note, I was actually reading some article popped up in my email about um, the they're trying to get the industry to push to a standardized uh, temperature rating on pads, mm-hmm. uh, our, our value rating, insulation rating, uh, so that things are comparable. So one thing that I noted, I, oh no, it was Thermarest that sent out the article. Um, if, if anyone's listening and check this out, cause it's pretty interesting of, um, basically I've, I've like a thermo Thermarest X lights. I think they've always rated it like 3.2 or something like that, but I always felt it was one of the warmest pads I'd ever slept on. Well, under the new testing, I think they came out with that it's actually like a four or something. Oh, wow. Uh, 4.4. I can't, I can't remember the exact number, but it was a lot higher than what they were rating on it. And that's what I had felt was true. Same with their X-Therm. If anyone's ever slept on their, their gray X-Therm pad, that thing is crazy hot. Like you can't even take that thing out in September because um, you sweat so bad. And it's the R value on that. It bumped up like a full R um, from from five to six or six to seven, something like that. So pretty interesting because there's other pads, um, you know, I'll pick on big Agnes in particular. They stop doing R values and just give you temperature ratings. And I feel like even though they say, say it's a 20 to 30 degree pad, it's nowhere even close to, um, like a therm, an X light. That's a R value of, you know, what they were saying was three was actually now four. So, um, interesting read on, 
you know, look that up. I guess they they did that with sleeping bags that they all have EN ratings now. So it's a standardized way to test them. Yeah. Uh, they can't do that on quilts because it's a different uh, how the testing works doesn't work. But you can at least get that on sleeping bags and have a apples to apples comparison on, on what you're getting into. Uh, so they're doing that on pads, which is pretty cool. You'll be able to kind of level the playing field. And I imagine there's going to be a lot of um, Big Agnes in particular from pick on them. They're going to have to change their temperature ratings quite a bit. Um, so, uh, sidebar there, but, um, yeah, so sleeping pad was super important. Um, I do have the sea to summit, their, their ether light one that I've been using all year and it's definitely not as warm. They don't say it's as warm as the, the comfort plus. Um, and I was, I was debating between the two looking at them cause there's, you know, a 14 ounce difference or something. It was a huge weight difference between the two. And I already had all this extra gear ended up going with the ether light, but I knew that I was packing, for the first time ever, I was going to use um, First Light's puffy pants. And so I thought, well, worst case uh, scenario, I'm just going to sleep in the puffy pants inside the sleeping bag and I'll be plenty warm. And that's what I ended up doing. So, um, but yeah, as far as, so have a pad with a good R value and then your bag itself, um, you know, I had a, a catabatic 15 degree quilt um, and basically with that 15 degree, degree quilt sleeping in my puffy pants and puffy jacket i was toasty toasty warm all night long so mm-hmm. um it, i think it's kind of as far as sleeping i think it's just a i don't know if there's i guess if you're just getting into it you need to err on the warm side but you just got to know yourself some guys sleep super warm some guys sleep super cold and um you just gotta you know go out there and experience that and figure out what works for you and what doesn't so yeah um, yeah yeah, that's good. I it is one of those things where not everybody has the the ability, the luxury to have a bunch of different bags and different ratings. And yeah. so for me, it's always come back to that idea of picking something that can work well. And honestly, I think this is a big advantage to quilts simply because you can get a cooler, you know, temperature rating quilt like I run the 22, but if it's warmer out, it's much easier to vent that to partially kind of use it than it is a sleeping bag where you're either kind of in it or you're out of it. Or even when you're don't have it on top of you, you're still laying on top of it and it's warm. So for me, a quilt is way more flexible, even in warmer weather. Um, but then, yeah, like I, I run that catabatic as well. And I've taken the that 22 degree quilt down into the low teens and been plenty warm just by adding a little bit more clothing layer, like you mentioned. So I think something, you know, smart for guys that do a lot in September, but then maybe have to go colder is somewhere right about that 15 to 20 degree mark. Um, it just is a good kind of do it all um, that you could take colder with layering, things like that. Yeah, absolutely. And one one option for a guy on a budget, say you've got a nice sleeping pad uh, that you like, is to pack um, one of the super thin, like a, a Z-Lite from Thermarest, the super thin foam ones, you know, and actually just put that underneath your air, your pad. Um, mm-hmm. I think that would that that article I read actually talked about that that you, essentially you can double as long as there's no air gap between the two. You're you're basically adding the two R values together. So I think in those those super light foam pads, you can pick up pretty stinking cheap, and you know you're gonna add. 10 12 ounces to your pack but you know in the, in the big picture of things that's not the end of the world so yeah for sure you mentioned layering steve and how you <laughs> how you maybe didn't do it so well approaching that climb for example getting you know just too hot and then what do you do to recoup and too cold and um it, it's important when you're out there 
anytime you're going to start moving, you want to start colder than what's probably comfortable, knowing that you're going to be moving and generating that heat, which is honestly, it's a pain in the butt to do sometimes, like you said, of you just, you want to get back to where Jason was and you're not necessarily thinking about that almost until it's too late where you're like, oh crap, now I'm overheated. But then you go to peel stuff back. Now you have, you know, your body moisture hitting the air, which makes it cold. It's tough, man. Um, But any advice on layering and things like that? Uh, Yeah, lots of them. Uh, (laughs) You know, I get the, I had basically uh, for pants, I had, you know, just long johns, some thick long johns, um, my pants. And then I brought the the first light puffy pants, which they said first trip using those. Super impressed to sit down and glass. I mean, you know, where you're sitting in one spot for four or five, six hours, not generating any heat. Um, those, I was really impressed with them. They're, they're definitely legit. Um, so, and then for the tops, I basically had two kind of base layer wool shirts, um, had a mid layer, kind of a fleecy layer. And then I had the, that Chamberlain jacket from first light. So, um, all that seemed to work really well for me. I was good. I just said the the one mistake was, I think, um, Yes, just hiking with too many layers on and generating sweat, and then you stop. And when it's you know sub ten degrees, it gets cold fast. I mean, like I took my, um, I just have some rag wool gloves that are easily my favorite gloves to wear. But I basically like when we got to Jason's uh, deer, you know, I'd been slipping and sliding, so I've been falling in the snow. They got a little bit of wet, or they got you know wet, and uh, took them off. And within four or five minutes, they were completely frozen, like you know, stand up on their own frozen rock solid. Um, so when it's that cold, you just got to be really careful about sweat and managing that. And, and so the next day when I took off to go, um, to go hike and, and kind of still hunt where we had seen that buck the week prior, um, I basically got, even though it was, I think it was probably 18 degrees at that point, middle of the day, I just got into, um, my lightest layer and just kind of was cold until I started climbing but uh, it was a way better way to manage it because when I got to the top and I sat down for a little bit, then I threw my layers back on and I was good to go. So, um, yeah, definitely definitely pay attention when you're hiking and generating sweat. Yeah. Another thing to keep in mind just with layers too, and especially with insulation layers, and I for, man, I forget where this came up recently. And I heard somebody talking about how they made this mistake. And to me, it sounded like such a, you know, well, duh. But I also remember that I didn't used to know this type of thing of – this guy, man, I forget where this came up, but this guy was running a situation where he basically put a layer over an insulation layer. So like over a puffy that was tighter. It wasn't built to layer on the oh. top. And so he was basically compressing his insulation layer, his puffy layer, um, which obviously decreases its effectiveness. So just throw that out there too, because it seems like such a duh item, but guys can run into that of as you're layering, think about how you're doing that and what pieces fit together and how. Because if you're compressing a puffy layer, for example, it's losing effectiveness. And the same can be said for like, even thinking of Alaska, Steve, that breathability factor of, I remember that day we were in, uh, that day we were stuck in the tent. It was super cold, really windy, and it was almost counterintuitive, but taking our feet out of the boots because you think, oh, my, my feet's going to feel warmer, but like not having those feet compressed in the boots, letting them breathe, letting any moisture dissipate, um, actually made you much warmer than even having a foot stuffed in your boot, even a slightly insulated boot at that. Um, so just think through those things of like breathability and, and airflow, and especially as that relates to moisture. Yeah, absolutely. I, and there's, I'd love to 
yeah, dive into that further because there's something there of, um, yeah, having, I guess it makes sense, having air pockets and like a, a rag wool glove to me, a thin wool glove would keep my hands infinitely warmer than if, say, if I had a ski, a waterproof, waterproof ski glove on. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know what, what it is, but for it, it definitely is a huge difference. Um, yeah. Any, anything else, uh, Steve, that comes up just in terms of things to keep in mind for hunting cold weather here soon? Um, yeah. So obviously sleep shelter is your big one. Um, you know, if you're doing a prolonged hunt, uh, in that kind of cold weather, I do think, you know, the, the whole TP wood stove things, uh, not a bad way to go. You know, you could, we could have done, you know, two, three day, two nighter with just, you know, basic backpacking gear and no way to dry stuff out. But I think if you're going to be in there for a week, that's a, a really, um, you know, if you're traveling from out of state, that's something I would really look at where you're going in for a week regardless and you got to suck it up. So, um, what else? Water is a tough one. I mean, water, it just froze so fast that, to get, <laughs> to give you an idea, um, that night I filled my jet boil. Uh, I always, you know, we always talk about this prepping for the morning. So I filled my jet boil up with, with water. Um, and I just filled it completely to the top thinking, okay, there's no way this is going to freeze solid. Like if I, if I only had it like an inch in the bottom, yeah, that's going to freeze, but just come, yeah, there's no way it's going to freeze solid. Um, yeah, filled it completely to the top, put the lid on it, put right, put it right next to where I was sleeping. Um, woke up in the morning and it was a solid chunk of ice on the inside of that. There wasn't one, one drop of water. It was frozen top to bottom. So, um, that was, uh, that was interesting. That was a mistake on my part. Um, so I think, uh, taking a water bladder, filling it up and then putting that like inside your, you know, obviously inside your tent would probably be good. I didn't have a tent. I just went with a baby sack on this hunt. Um, I knew it was going to be cold. That's one thing that, um, uh, trying to, yeah, for me personally, and especially with the quilts, I think it helps a lot is that bivy sack adds probably five to 10 degrees to the whole system yeah. just because it, it, it is like getting you inside an enclosed shell and your body heat, even if it escapes the sleeping bag is kind of held in from the, um, from the baby sack. Um, so that I was super, super impressed with that, but yeah, just keep in mind water. Um, I absolutely hate Nalgene bottles from a, in September hunting, but I can definitely understand their effectiveness um, when you're dealing with this kind of temperatures, cause our bladder tubes were, were frozen a good portion of the time. Um, you know, I, I do my best to basically take a drink and then you blow air back in through the tube, but there's still a couple times the the water got into the tube and then froze. And so my only option to, to drink water was physically stop, take my pack off, pull the bladder out and then pour it out of the bladder, you know? Um, and then, um, yeah, water filtration, you know, the Sawyers are amazing little filters, but when you're talking six degrees, um, that's pretty tough. They, they could definitely freeze up fast. So I, I don't have a, I think probably, um, tablets, iodine tablets or whatever, or, um, like the UV filters, maybe, maybe not. Cause those things rely on a battery. And if it's that yeah. cold, then manage the battery, but, um, filtering water, drinking your water. We ended up probably the vast majority of stuff. I just filled it right into the jet boil, boiled it, and then, you know, drank coffee or whatever from there. Um, cause that was kind of the easiest way to do it. And we were filtering, you know, literally out of springs coming out of the side of the mountains. So there's not a whole lot of worry about anything there, but, um, what else? Oh, I, I, you know, uh, mentioned last week testing some boots. So this trip I got to wear, um, some Scarpas. Um, they have, a man, 
I got to pull this up real quick. Oh, Scarpa ZG Trek um, is the one I wore on this trip. I was super impressed with them um, in a lot of areas, super comfortable. They're not like I, you, if someone told me Scarpa, I'd think like super, super stiff mountaineering boots. These yeah. are like on their light hiking side of their line. Um, so not near as bad, still, you know, definitely way stiffer than my Solomon X ultra or something. Um, but from a comfort standpoint, they're great. Um, waterproofness. I was the first day I was super happy with them. Everything was completely dry, but it was so stinking cold that like the boots were actually just frozen on the outside. So I don't think anything would have leaked, um, coming out like by late afternoon that day, you know, like, um, the sun, it was just clear bluebird day. So the sun was kind of eating up the snow and I had a couple little spots of like water on top of my toes where you could tell it was like getting through some seam. So I was kind of disappointed in that. Um, my probably my biggest reason for looking for a solution is waterproofness, um, outside of my Solomons for, you know, September. So, um, and then I still, man, like a stiff boot. I just can't like the design side in my head, understanding that I still don't understand. Um, the tr- your traction is so much worse. Uh, you just slip and slide because you're, you're, if you think about it, your boot, um, you go to step on a rock and the, the, you know, the rock's a solid object and your boot's a solid object. And so there's no give there. Um, where we were glassing, it was just super steep hillside and just rocky as all get out and obviously it had snow on it. Um, man, it was like treacherous watching, walking across that. And obviously I almost wish I had had my Solomons with me in the pack that I could just swap out and then hike up the hill to actually like have a, you know, like do a side by side comparison. Cause it, it, I swear it would have been light years better. Um, but just not having that boot flex and adapt to the, to the shape of the rock underneath your foot. You just don't have a very big contact patch with the ground. And mm-hmm. I just find myself slipping and sliding a lot. So, um, I'm sure for, I don't know, I'm, I'm still working through it, but I'm sure for some people they need that stiff, shoe but from like our foot's designed to move and twist and adapt and um you're throwing it inside a boot that's restricting that i just i can't wrap my head around why that makes sense but yeah. um it at least doesn't for me but um man other than that yeah i think uh, all the other gear was pretty standard for the trip just more layers oh i did have um big old first light plug here their new glassing mitts holy crap those oh are yeah awesome. those are sweet those town glassing mitts yeah like they weigh three and a half ounces. Yeah. Uh, and and it's, yeah. it's funny yeah. to me, people throw out the word like packable, like it's a marketing feature. You hear, oh, it's super light and super packable, blah, blah, blah. Those things truly are, man. Like they disappear in your pack. They weigh nothing and they're so stinking warm. Yeah. I, I couldn't believe, I mean, it was like, I was just bragging about them to Jason. It's like putting your hands in like, you know, oven mitts and warm. Um, and I had him put them on and he's like, Oh yeah, these are nice. You know? <laughs> yeah. And they got the little grippers on yeah. them. If you're running your focus wheel, yeah. they're, they're nice for sure. Yeah. Normally like I said, I'm so lightweight minimalist that I forgo packing some of that stuff. And like, I just kind of accept like, yeah, I'll be a little bit colder. But when you're, de- when you're talking about this extreme cold and especially an elk hunt, maybe you're going to be moving more, but a deer hunt, you're, you're plopping your butt down and not moving for four or five hours. So you, you definitely have to to think about that and what your body, how cold your body is going to get and make sure you have layers for it. So, yeah. Cool, man. Yeah. I'm sure we could come up with a, a ton more cold weather tips and fill a whole episode, but this is supposed to be a short Monday minute. 
<laughs> I will throw it out there. It'd be fun to hear if you guys have cold weather tips or like lessons learned the hard way. Let us know and we can always uh, mention those on a future episode here. If you guys got a tip or trick or tactic that you really like, then uh, shoot us an email to podcast at xamountgear.com. Um, yeah, other than that, man, there's there's more coming. Got a full episode Wednesday. Uh, Steve, we're headed back to Alaska here in a few weeks. Um, so yeah, definitely, definitely more to come, more exciting times. Hopefully you guys still have some tags to fill as well. Thanks so much for tuning in and yeah, let us know about your cold weather tip or any other feedback or idea to shoot us an email podcast at exomountgear.com. 